The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so nice to be with you on this morning and nice to have this intimate group. Um, I think there are certain uh, opportunities maybe that come from uh, being a smaller group and sitting together. So maybe this morning uh, we can have a little bit more dialogue than usual or a little more uh, conversation. Mm. I was uh, just teaching a meditation retreat at our retreat center in Santa Cruz. And it was very nice. It was a three, three night retreat. And so basically participants arrived on a Thursday afternoon and then all day retreat on Friday, on Saturday, and then went home on Sunday morning. And, um, you know, depending on your, um, experience in sitting retreat, that might sound like a really long time to be meditating, to be on retreat, or it might sound like a short retreat. Um, But it was uh, wonderful. And um, about half of the participants, about 20 of the students, this was their first retreat. And, um, And being a person who has taught and sat a number of longer retreats, you know, weeks and weeks or months even, um, I used to think, well, just two days or three days and what can, you know, is that really, it's, it's a little short, but actually it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's quite a significant amount of time um, to go pretty deep in the practice. And it, w- it was very nice to see the way um, m- many many of us were able to kind of settle and get into the flow of things. And, and, and one of the, so one of the topics or one of the um, areas of uh, practice that I've been reflecting on that I talked a little bit about on the retreat is the idea of conflict, you know? And I think often in meditation practice and Dharma practice, we think about um, peacefulness, you know, and um, har- harmony, harmonizing, and as you know, as one of the qualities of the Dharma, or maybe one of the goals of practice. And it's a beautiful ideal. It's a beautiful goal um, to be at peace, be at one with things, to be at peace, um, and. Sometimes the idea of peace or the idea of uh, harmony can um, can g- give us the idea that it's something far away from us. You know, it's something to that we need to do a lot of things in the meantime, and then one day, you know, something will will get there, and it's some particular thing. It looks like it has a particular special state, for example. Um, and the, the other way of thinking about um, this is to think about meditation practice and Buddhist practice as um, a wise way of working with conflict in our life. And where, where is the conflict? And what is, what is conflicted? Where am I in conflict with um, others? You know, where am I in conflict with the world? Where am I in conflict with myself? And um, if if we if we picture practice and we and we picture this as a sort of doorway into practice, then well, first of all, we te- most of us, I think, I speak for myself, we have a lot to work with. <laughs> you know, there's always. There's always um, this conflict between, um, you know, this kind of basic conflict between how things are and how I want them to be. 
you know. I was thinking about the morning routine in my house. And I said, where is the conflict there? And <laughs> part of the conflict is um, I have a certain agenda. My agenda is to get my kids dressed and fed and out the door to school on time. You know, so that's what I want to happen. And then there's what's happening, <laughs> which is other people, other little people don't have the same particular agenda that I do. They're not, you know, they're not stressed about the time or they're not thinking about the commute or this or that. They're, you know, they want to play. They want to, you know, whatever. They're, they're meticulously putting together a birthday gift of pebbles and beads and something. Does anyone have wrapping paper? It's like, we don't have time for that. We have to eat and this and that. And, you know, so this conflict, this sense of conflict. And, you know, maybe it's a small thing, but it's just one example that's a microcosm for um, how, how we might go through life, you know, throughout the day, day after day, is, is, is needing to sort of address or resolve this division between what I want to happen and what's happening, you know? And I think our usual way of trying to address this is to get louder. <laughs> kids get louder, get, get their attention. You know, it's like assert my will in a stronger and stronger way. And um, maybe this works a little bit, right? You can overpower kids. You can sometimes overpower things in life and just, just push it through and just make it happen. And I think for many of us, we have learned that that sort of works sometimes. You know, if I'm having trouble with a class or learning something, I'm just going to put more time into it and study more and just push and push and push till I get, get the result I want. And so sometimes what we uh, say is the problem is not that it doesn't work, but the problem is that it almost works. <laughs> you know, so we learn to do our works in, in certain areas. And so, we, so we learn to sort of um, trust our will, trust our desire, trust our um, capacity to shape the world according to me. And I know I won't be able to get what I want all the time, but the more often I can get what I want, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be at peace. Then I'll be. Um, and so in reflecting on this, maybe just with this example of being with children, it's like um, there is a certain kind of energy that that can create to be so strong and to sort of overpower the situation, which I realized is, doesn't feel so good. And it doesn't create the kind of um, field of energy in the morning that I want my kids to. I want them to be sort of addled and stressed and rushed and um, scared and just eat, eat your oat, finish your oatmeal, we have to go. Um, and that's a sort of a way of trying to resolve this conflict that I have in me by pushing it on them. And I'm going to get out this this anxious energy or this this irritation, and then expel it from my being and put it out there. And um, and so I reflected, what is what would be a wise way to work with this conflict? You know, because it's kind of a we have you have these parameters. You have to go to school on time, and this and that. And one one thing I thought is that. Um, to acknowledge that I have a certain agenda and they have a different agenda, you know? And is there a way that we can somehow get aligned that maybe, maybe it's having a little more time and space in the morning that, that they need a sort of 20 minutes of just floating around and playing and, um, and so maybe it's waking up a little bit earlier and maybe that means going to bed a little bit earlier and adjusting our routine the night before that they would naturally maybe get up at 6.15 instead of 6.30 or 6.45. 
Um, and then there's a little bit, it's a little more relaxed and we can kind of play or maybe even have a story in the morning. And, and then it feels like, okay, now I'm hungry. Now I'm ready to eat or I'm ready to sit. And, you know, so that's um, one approach. The other approach that I reflected on for myself is to, is to check out the assumptions that I have that, that create this stress, that, okay, if we don't, if they don't finish all their breakfast, the world is going to end. Or if, if we don't, if we're late for kindergarten, something terrible is going to happen. You know, and that's sort of, you know, it sounds silly, but there's this operating assumption maybe, or this, you know, of like that the stakes are so high here. And we started um, making this smoothie in the morning, which is like the blender is like 75% green leafy vegetables and then, you know, little other things. And I realized that I have this unspoken assumption to myself or unsaid assumption that if the girl, if my girls don't drink all of their smoothie, um, there will be disastrous consequences. They will get sick. Something will happen. <laughs> kind of, you know, and I mean, I think it's a good thing to have the vegetables and do this thing. And, but, um, you know, there was the, the, the volume, the temperature was so high on this. The stakes were so high. And so just kind of check that out. And, um, and so, and, and so that's one example of a kind of external conflict. And then what are the conflicts that we might feel internally? Um, and, and meditation practice as one way of um, coming into more contact, more connection, more intimacy with any any sense of division or any sense of inner conflict um, um, between basically how I am and how I think I should be, how I, you know, what's happening and what I think should happen for me in this internal sense. Um, you know, so one example of this, that's a very common um, conflict we could say in meditation practice is I have this intention to be with the breath, to be with the sensations of the breath. And then all of this thinking arises, some emotions, strong, strong emotions, strong sense of distraction, wandering mind, daydreaming. And it becomes very clear that the mind is not something that is under my control. It was just like, what do I do with this conflict? I have this this, the intention to be present, to be here, to be with the breath. And then the mind, this kind of out of control mind. And so I can kind of bring it back a little bit and then very quickly it goes off, you know, and then it might be a moment later, it might be 10 minutes later, you know, kind of bring it back, then go off. And so this is, this is a, a great example of a conflict. That, um, and so do we deal with this conflict by becoming, um, angry or irritated or frustrated or impatient or thinking this is not supposed to happen. You know, something's wrong here. Um, or maybe we externalize it. If only there were better instruction and, you know, more guided meditation and better center and, you know, whatever, then I could, wouldn't have this conflict. Or do we, do we blame ourselves? This is my, you know, if I were meditating every day, like I want to be, I wouldn't have this problem or, you know, um, so how do we deal with this? How do we deal with the sense of what's happening right now shouldn't be happening? It's wrong that it's happening. Often this is the unspoken, unconscious assumption. You know, there's something wrong with how things are. It shouldn't be this way. And, Maybe at some point, if I meditate enough, it won't be this way. <laughs> you know, and the the irony, right? If it's the irony or the 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 interesting thing for me is that um, those of us who have meditated for a long time, many years, maybe 
um, maybe it's not so much that their mind is finally exactly the way they want it to be all the time, but it's that they have developed some inner sense of letting go of equanimity, of composure with however the mind happens to be. You know, you sit down and if there's a lot of agitation, a lot of desire, a lot of um, frustration or impatience, it's like, oh, okay, that's what's here right now. And there's some sense of this is how it is and it's not necessarily supposed to be some other way. Um, so this is, you know, maybe this is an aspect of equanimity. Maybe we could call this not being in conflict. Um, but this idea of meditation practice, not so much as to get our mind the way we want it to be, but to, um, little by little learn to not be in conflict with the way things are and to learn not to be in conflict with the contents of our mind. So various thoughts will arise and feelings and um, sounds and images and sensations. And what, is, what does it look like not to be in conflict with that too? To simply allow it all to come and go. Um, one of the, one of the, I think, this is a little bit of a subtle point, because what it might look like is exactly the contents of our mind. <laughs> you know, it's not like there is a special. There's some. There's some like you know equanimity has some, um, but it only looks like this one way. It's like, what is it to be equanimous with how things are? Well, it's just exactly being exactly with how things are and allowing them to be themselves and allowing them to come and go. Um, so it doesn't have a, a, a necessarily some special flavor. It's like, it's the exact contents of our mind at this time. And so that, that's this idea of like, um, what is, there's a Zen koan that's like, uh, it talks about um, ordinary mind is the way, you know. So what does it mean that ordinary mind is the way? And then, this, so this, this, teacher says to the student, ordinary mind is the way. And the student says, oh, okay, well, how do I get that? <laughs> you know, so the teacher's saying, just to be with your mind, how it is right now. This is the way. And the teacher and the, but and the student hears that, but still can't stop this um, habit of thinking it's outside of ourselves. It's some different way. Okay, so how do I get that? How do I get... For the, this thing called ordinary mind. And the, and the teacher says something like, if you, if you look for it, you've already missed it. <laughs> you know, if you're looking for something other than what's happening right now, you've just stumbled past it. You know, so it's this idea of, can we become sensitive to this movement of the, of the mind, of the heart, to always be looking out there, to always think that this is not enough, and to be willing to sacrifice this moment for some imagined experience, some imagined moment in the future. And, you know, I think, I think this is such an ingrained movement of the mind, especially in our culture. And, and, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of value to this um, skill of maybe we can call it delayed gratification, you know, of like knowing that if I um, work hard and, um, you know, I'll be able to get, attain some goal in the future. And that's a great, you know, and it's true in many, many um, realms of life. But also to remember that meditation is a little bit of an unusual activity 
And rather than sacrificing this moment for some moment in the future, we again and again return to how things are right now. And what is it to harmonize, to somehow not be in conflict, to be at peace with the contents of our experience right now? And then to notice, when do I, where's the conflict there? Where do I feel this is not right, this is not fair, this is not supposed to be happening, this is not enough? Because um, these, these points of conflict are showing us where there's clinging in the mind, where there's some resistance. And not to judge that, not to um, think that's wrong, just to hold that, to hold, you know, okay. This is, this is hard to accept right now. Um, some things will be easy to accept. Some things will easy be, you know, okay, there's a, there's a sort of irritating lawnmower sound block away. You think, oh, okay, you know, it's not ideal, but can I accept that? Can I be with that? And then after a little while of breathing with it, opening to the sound, we might find, oh, it was really the idea that there's some sound that was bothersome, but the actual experience of the sound is, is, is fine, it's okay. You know, so there's some things that may be relatively easy to accept. And then there will be thi- you know, things that happen that are very, very hard to accept. Um, on the retreat that we were just sitting, there were a few students who had experienced significant losses in their life, you know, loved ones who had passed away and this kind of thing. And um, to be on retreat and to be able to open to all of the feelings of loss and grief and sadness and anger, whatever is arising, can be a wonderful blessing, you know, to... um, but it's not easy, and it's not easy to um, uh, sit with those feelings. And then it's not so much that you need to accept that this happened and get over it and be at peace with, be perfect peace with this loss, but to accept that it hurts, to accept that this is the truth of the moment, this is really true right now, that there are these very strong emotions and feelings and attitudes and um, something very, uh, something happened that's very difficult to accept and to be with the truth of all that um, with a lot of kindness, a lot of tenderness, um, spaciousness and when when we are able to align ourselves with what's true and open to what's true in this moment, right now, that can release a lot of energy. It can release, because we can spend a lot of time sort of contorting ourselves um, or uh, building up elaborate barriers, uh, you know, Uh, defending ourselves against certain feelings or certain truths. So if we're allowed to sort of open to them, there can be um, uh, tremendous feelings of release, of ease, of, of, you know, finally, even though, so people often on retreat have this, have this um, insight that they're finally able to um, let go of these barriers or dissolve these barriers to what's been happening and this tremendous feeling of freedom that, okay, I can finally be with these emotions and feelings. And even though it's difficult, there's a sense of release that I'm not fighting against myself. I'm not fighting against what's true. And... um, and then, you know, so to be aligned with what's true, to be aligned, and, and so according to the Dharma, one of the fundamental um, uh, characteristics of what's true is that things change. You know, things are impermanent. Um, 
everything that we can experience is changing moment by moment. It's arising and it's passing away. And so to open to the truth of change and all that that means for us um, is, is one of the primary ways of not being in conflict. So there's this chant, there's this um, teaching that um, I've, I've, I've heard is chanted in Southeast Asia at important occasions in life. So at funerals, but also at other times, um, even at births, you know, and it, it's something, it goes something like, um, all experience or all conditioned things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth, to be at peace with this truth, to not be in conflict with this truth is the greatest happiness. Um, so right there, the heart of the teaching, you know, to not be in conflict with how things are, to not be in conflict with the way things change um, is the heart of the practice. And of course, we, there will be some change that we welcome, that we like, and there will be some change that we don't, that we have mixed feelings about, and there will be some change that we for sure don't like. <laughs> if we don't want, we don't like. And so life is continually giving us this riddle, this koan. How can I not be in conflict with what's changing, what's happening? Um, I feel that with my children. It's like, there's a certain part of me that wants them to stay this age forever. <laughs> you know, it has this sweetness to it, this intimacy, this love of openness to life, to learning. I mean, anything is fun. And you want to help me take out the garbage? Yeah, we're, we're going to do it by ourselves. And, you know, I, I somehow I'm guessing that when they're teenagers, that they will have a, that enthusiasm for taking out the garbage may be um, dampened. And um, so there's some part of me that's like, things are good now. I just want them to stay this way forever. Um, and I know, you know, that's not only will that not happen, but that, that's not the way it should be. And that there's part of the nature of things is to change and to grow. And the nature of our relationship will change. And maybe at some point, there, will, there won't be this uncomplicated love and affection for what seems to be, you know, maybe, maybe I'm projecting a little bit. It seems like that's the, how they relate to us as parents. And of course, the, you know, they, get it, they want what they want, and if they don't get it, they get upset. But, you know, I think there's a developmental stage when at some point children realize that their parents are not perfect. <laughs> or not ideal or something. And um, that's when the other shoe drops. <laughs> and, um, but that's the way things should be. There's this developmental process that happens as, as young people start to wake up to the fact that of separation, of individuation, of the world. There's you know, it's not just oneness and there's a sort of, you know, sense of the world as a place out there. And, um, uh, you know, the sense of bad things happen in the world, you know, scary things happen and um, wonderful things happen. And so, you know, this, this, you know, also there's various models of, of development and, of the human being and the, of the individual. And, um, but this is the nature of things. Th things change, we grow, we, um, and so not to be in conflict with, um, what, you know, so, so one question that, um, I find it helpful to ask myself is what, what needs to be, um, what needs to be seen, to be understood, to be let go of, to be 
honored, to be appreciated, to be understood in myself, to be more of a person who's not in conflict. You know, what are the ideas and assumptions I have? Where are the places where I really feel like, um, you know, this shouldn't be the way it is uh, right now? And to, and to, um, to hold those with a lot of kindness, a lot of tenderness, that maybe it's a little bit idealistic to say that all conflicts will be resolved in us. But I think this is a practice that is um, a wise and effective way of relating to conflict in our life, to relating to struggle. Um, one of the, one of the uh, maybe the final thing I'll say is just this little bit of a practical tip, practical, you know, for myself, I think that whenever I'm meditating, whenever I'm practicing, and there's some sense of struggle, there's some, you know, whether it's a, f- a physical struggle with how things are, or more often it's a mental struggle, you know, whenever the meditation feels like a struggle, that is a great sign that um, uh, something's going on that we might not be fully opening to. There's a there's a some some degree of that we're in conflict with what's happening, and is there some way that to use that sense of struggle to stay with it, to find it in the body, to find where it is in the heart, in the mind, and just be with that, and that becomes the the focus of our meditation, the object of our meditation, and we can learn a lot at these places of division, of 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 struggle, of conflict. And, um, you know, in learning how to be a person who is more and more able to open to the truth of things and align to truth and not be in conflict with, with the world. And just maybe one final thing to say is sometimes a reaction to this, this orientation to practice is to say, but there's all these awful things in the world that I don't, that shouldn't be happening, that are, that are un, unfair and unjust and horrible. And shouldn't, shouldn't I fight to fix those and change those? And my response is, of course we should. But um, part of not being in conflict is not being in conflict with um, the truth of of what's actually happening. So to, 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 in order to first either let something go or to work to change it, we need to, we need to accept that it's happening. We need to acknowledge it and experience it. And maybe when we can fully experience it and, fu- and fully experience the pain of something, then we're more available and more wise to have agency and act not from a heart that is contracted and angry and closed down, but from a heart, you know, almost like a fierce protectiveness for the world. Maybe it's a fierce protectiveness for the earth and the climate. Maybe it's a fierce protectiveness for the um, uh, violence that happens to, to, to some in the children or to some in our society or a fierce, a fierce, um, wish to right the wrongs of the world, but it comes from, from this deep acknowledgement of how things are. Um, one of my uh, friends who was teaching this retreat to me, with me, she, she, she compared the world to a child who's sick. You know, if we have a child that's sick, and our response to that to hearing that your child is sick is to be shocked, to close down, to faint, to, you know, it might, it might be a, you know, it it might be a understandable reaction because we're so close and so attached to this child and the child is sick, we just can't deal with it. And, um, but that's not that useful or helpful to the child, you know, but to actually be, um, 
you know, to wake up more and to be more present, more alive to the truth of what's happening means we can help, means we can do something or, or at least give some support. And so maybe this world is in some ways sick, in some ways um, needs, needs that kind of care and um, attentiveness from us. And if we, if we close down through anger or if we close down through fear, then we're not that available. We can't, we can't um, act in ways that are wise, in ways that are skillful and helpful. So, um, I'm curious, so, so thank you for your, for your attention. And um, I'm curious to know how, how does this uh, idea of um, becoming sensitive to conflict and struggle in our life and within us. How does how does this resonate for you? How do you know? Um, yeah, what do you do? You, does where do where do you how do you see? Is it, yeah, thing. Do you want to? Yeah. Just maybe tell us your name for people who don't know. Jan. I had this awareness recently of um, the oneness of life and death. It's all right here. It's just one. Mm. And then impermanence, right? That that's the way of things and that's how it is. So there's this, there was this real peace and equanimity that came out of that, like for everything, right? But then last night I read some more details of the IPCC report on climate change. And um, given that that's a conservative report, it looks imminent, like it's going to happen and it will happen and nobody knows when, but soon. And there is this just so many, in really taking that in, of course I've known this all along and my husband rails, has railed about it for 30 years, ever since I've known him. It's, when it, it's, it's his burning thing. But the, as I it was something about the way this was written that I just got it. And, and um, it was just a real sense of horror mm. and anger and sadness and fear. You know? and, um, and a sense of foreshortened future, you know, personal. Like, wow, the world could be, you know, I could be in the middle of this by the time I retire. What's going to happen to my retirement, right? That mm-hmm. real, mm-hmm. just personal, <laughs> base level kind of thing. But also the, the, the bigger thing, of course, is the mass suffering, contemplating or taking in the reality of the mass suffering that will occur um, to human beings, to the earth, and, and to the species that are already dying. So before this last night, I had that that sense of like, yes, species come and go, you know. And then the, I think it's from Vedanta, you, universes come and go. Mm. You know, mm. each, each little existence is like a feather going across the mountaintop. I've just never forgotten that metaphor. So I, I could just be with that as the way of things, you know, and we're creatures and we struggle to survive and we have greed and this is the way we've always behaved and it's just on a global scale now. Right? So, but... And there was a slight guilt, like if I, I'm just in this pace of 
peaceful transcendence about all of this and accepting not that not the sense that I have to do anything because I'm doing there's very little we can do and I'm doing the little that I can within my selfish interests and comfort right I could do more mm. right but um so in some ways you've answered this, but it feels like a really, really hard one to for me right now in this moment to sit with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Knowing it's like, and you use the example of the sick baby, right? Or, or a loved one or ourselves getting the terminal cancer diagnosis, right? I mean, that's really what it is. It's a, yeah. it's a, a pending death, but a, an unknown timing and the details, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know who, what, when, where uh, exactly. Um, so life seems, um, everything else seems irrelevant in the face of that I guess is the feeling. Like, why would we be paying attention to anything else? Yeah, yeah. And yet I know that... And yet the flowers, you know, open in spring. Right. You know, and... And I know that the, the better place I'm in, the more I'll be able to interact with and serve others and myself as we suffer, Right. As it, 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 how this plays out, yeah. hopefully I would be present in a in a in a helpful way rather than in a harmful way. So I don't know if you have anything to add. To all that. Well, it's a be- it's a beautiful question, and thank you for sharing that. And I think it's it's a great illustration of the you know what is it to hold both of these? What is it to hold that the nature of, of things is to change? And, you know, so in one sense, you know, you're right. Maybe planets come and go. Maybe species come and go. Maybe, or species do come and go, right? And maybe universes come and go. And um, so what is it to be aligned with that truth? But also, part of the, um, the practice depends on the fact that we have agency. You know, if we didn't have agency, we couldn't do this practice. We would be just at the mercy of our conditioning, of our habits, of our... But but according to um, the Buddha and the teachings of, of, of many who have practiced before us, it's possible to wake up and um, just like transcend our conditioning and habits and create the kinds of and change our conditioning, actually. And so, knowing that, is there a kind of responsibility, just in the same way of like, let's say, you know, there's a person who's hard of hearing and is walking along train tracks and doesn't see that the train is coming behind them, and we're just meditating on the side of the platform, and do we say, well, everything changes, so... You know, the tra- train is coming and the person's there, and but everything changes, so I don't need to do anything. I'm just accepting, accepting. <laughs> no. <laughs> Push them out of the way. You know, do it. stop this baby carriage from rolling into the intersection. And But in order to stop it from rolling into the intersection, we need to be awake, alert to what's happening. We need to see. We need to... Um, and um, if we deny that the the carriage is on a collision course with the intersection, that's not really helpful. Um, if, but at the same time, we can't. Um, we maybe we can't stop every bad thing from happening ourselves, or every tragedy from happening. We can do what we can within the realm of our agency and our. But um, so, and, and, it, and I think the more we're sensitive to this uh, question, 
you know, um, what, how can I act in a way that I don't feel in conflict? You know, so for some of us that might mean changing um, aspects of our lifestyle, you know, um, in order to, I, I know someone who, who has stopped uh, all, t- personally he has stopped taking airplanes, you know, because of just the climate, carbon impact of planes. And I would never say that every single person should do that, you know. Um, but it's a beautiful expression of his own uh, um, wish to not be in conflict with what he thinks, you know, or, you know what he can do. Um, there, there, there are maybe important and wise reasons to travel sometimes. And I wouldn't, you know, it's like, it's not a, for, a formula, formulaic thing, but, um, but th- you know, thank you. It's a great, and yeah, and holding, holding both of those. And, and I think that there's a way that, you know, like you know, in these examples, they're not in conflict, that the more we open to the truth of things, the more we get insight and inspiration for how to, how to line up with, with that in whatever way feels um, appropriate for us at this time. So, um, yeah, thank you, Janet. Um, it was a lot of uh, very thoughtful. Um, food for cogitation and, <laughs> and development of understanding. And, um, and often I have the experience that when I formulate a question, the answers start arising in response to uh, the ideas that you present. So thank you for that. I have, would like to explore for a second the um, idea of aligning ourselves with what is true because um, it often comes up in my thinking and I'm also interested in what Ethan has to say about it because he, I know he is very um, involved in this, uh, these concepts also. Um, so aligning ourselves with what is true I'll give you an example. My son, I often have conflict with my son. And it often turns out that he was right. He doesn't know why he's right. And um, and what he's saying as a position is not necessarily right. But the end result tends to be that he seems to be in tune with an intuitive sense of the unfolding of the universe, the unfolding of time. And so I come to understand that in retrospect, actually he was in touch with a path that is true, aligning with the truth of how the world is working. And so I often have this sense that I have this position, as you were describing. I have this position. I have this intention. I think that it's right. And then as things unfold, it actually is a different way. And so what I'm wondering is the workings of karma and co-independent arising in this process of understanding or aligning ourselves with the complexities of karmic um, interactions and karmic developments in the world that often aren't really discussed. Because it seems to me that 
it just in my personal view of the cosmology that there is actually an order to how things unfold and the, and the workings of that are a little mysterious but Buddhism has some particular things to say about how that unfolding occurs. Yeah, and and so the question being, um, what's how can we be in conflict if everything the is unfolding? The question is um, adjusting our understanding of our own intentions with what is actually um, aligning ourselves with what is true. It seems like you're, you're suggesting that aligning ourselves with what is true is just seeing what's unfolding at the moment. And my question is the how that fits into co-independent arising and um, karmic workings of the people who are involved in that conflict and interaction. Does that make sense? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not sure if this will completely address what your question is, but... Um, I mean, sometimes we say that um, we can either be motivated by karma or by dharma, (laughs) you know, or we can either, you know, um, it's completely true that, you know, everything that happens is conditioned and is um, dependently arising on everything else, uh, you know, based on everything else. And, um, but, um, if we, if we were trapped by karma, you know, if we had no, um, agency, then waking up would be impossible. Practice would be impossible. We'd just be continually enacting, um, maybe the world feels like this, but continually making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Um, but, um, when we, I think of uh, aligning with truth, aligning with how things are, isn't simply accepting our karma or accepting, okay, this is the way it all is. It's actually um, I mean, in that seeing is the waking up, you know. And then we can actually change our, our karma. And then we can actually make different decisions because we're seeing truth. We're seeing how things are. We're seeing change. And, um, and that sets in motion a different kind of dependent arising, a different um, uh, momentum of things. Does that... From there, it seems like uh, the Eightfold Path is the way to do that, the instruction to develop that, those actions and that will um, align ourselves with the karma and create a, um, an, and express our agency. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so um appreciated the talk. You're definitely a genius for sure. Um <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Neil told me that um the the topic was conflict on Sunday and uh, I thought a lot about like internal conflicts and just 
you know, my NVC, nonviolent communication practice and how a lot of it just comes down to how much empathy I have for myself and like what all these like delusions that I have that I, I see as delusions and preoccupations and how much am I in tune with the, those needs um, from those sort of um, things that I want to make disparate or want to cast off. How can I be in tune with them a little more? And then I can have the more self empathy I have, the more I can kind of extend that to other people. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of humility, I think in, in that just humility and like letting things arise and, um, just being able to rest and, in, in not knowing, um, or, or not thinking that I know the best course of action all the time. Um, so that's, that's hard for sure. Um, um, I also thought a little bit about, I mean, you seem pretty relaxed after meditation and I think that, uh, physiology also plays a part in it. Um, just that, that base level, like, I'm not reacting as much to this experience and then I have more resources um, kind of deal. So um, I don't know. Do you have any sort of tips on, I mean, I know it's all independent, like in terms of like what works for different people, but do you have any tips on relaxation and like how to not get, I mean, triggered is like a word that people use, but sort of not get activated yeah yeah no i mean it's a thank you ethan and it's a great observation that um the mind body connection and and that's one of the reasons that i i feel like this idea about becoming sensitive to some physical sense of struggle or contraction or you know often our inner conflicts and our mental and emotional conflicts have a physical manifestation in the body. You know, I know for me, if I, if the belly is contracted and tight, it means that there's some, some sense, you know, maybe subtle, but some sense of struggle, some sense of resistance to something that, you know, if you watch young children or babies, how they breathe, they just have these soft bellies. They haven't, they're at one with things, you know, and they haven't, maybe they don't have wisdom the way we think about wisdom, but they have this natural, you know, they haven't learned that they need to be anxious <laughs> and worry about things. And, um, and, and they're not think, and they might be upset in the moment and maybe very upset, but in the next moment they've let it go and they're, you know, and they're not we continually upset ourselves <laughs> by thinking about it and thinking about the future. And then we re-tighten the belly. And so I've noticed at times in sittings, I've softened the belly, I've breathed, breathed deeply, staying with that and how good it feels, how it opens the channels and aligns things up. But then the moment I look away <laughs> and some thought comes out, <laughs> tight again. I mean, it's amazing, the conditioning. And then so just having the having a lot of patience and a lot of kindness towards the places in the body where we contract and tighten and kind of you know on retreat sometimes people the, their shoulders are killing them you know and it's not because you need to keep you know stay tight like this in order to sit up straight it's like it's this habit and we think about something and we we're just like protecting ourselves we're bracing and so to work at the level of the body and get really familiar with where do I um, typically, characteristically uh, contract and tighten because there's a lot to learn there and without judgment, without anything like that and just getting to really... So I know a few places I sort of do this rotation when I'm sitting and I check in and, and that's, that's very, I find that very helpful. Thank you. Okay. 
So thank you very much for for exploring this topic together. I wish you a day that is aligned with truth and not in conflict. (laughs) Thank you.